Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast today. We're entering into the Advent season through the book of Luke as we see the birth of Jesus and his childhood years. We're really excited to share that with you and hope that this season will be enveloped by remembering Jesus coming to be with us. We'd also want to invite you to partner with us financially. We have a few missionaries that you can find on our website that have really blessed our church by doing college ministry. And also we have seminarians that we want to invite our listeners to support as well. We're starting a church residency program praying to uh, see God raise up the next generation of pastors at Renew Church. You can find all that information at the description section. Enjoy the podcast. As a renewed tradition, we love breaking off into groups of two or three and just sharing a question to get to know the people around us. And I'm always looking for opportunities for our church to meet across our life stages and to be family that way. And so the cookie event for the women is a great way for our junior high girls to meet the women who have families. And then this time as well, every Sunday, I hope it would be a sweet moment for you to look for someone around you that you don't normally connect with and to be able to share a part of your life with each other and pray for one another. And so the question today is share a favorite Christmas story from your childhood or adult life. I'll be back in five minutes and we'll work in, start working on the book of Luke. All right, welcome back everyone. My group was very confused. When I said Christmas story, I meant like a story from your personal life. Did you share that or did you share about Rudolph? Who shared about Rudolph? Raise your hand. Or some, yeah? Thank you. Okay, so I meant like your own personal story. So this is my Christmas story. I love white elephant parties. Pastor Christy does not. Many are, Kristen does not. She did a vote where, for her small group whether to do a white elephant party. But she said she would only count the votes of those who agreed with her to not do it. So similar to our elections. I'm just kidding. Um, just met. Uh, don't get mad. Um, so anyways, I love White Elephant. And I remember I was at Talbot Seminary. I liked this girl. I didn't meet Nina yet. So, you know, I liked a lot of girls before I met Nina. Um, but I loved Nina. It's different. And so I liked this gal. She didn't know, of course. <laughs> and then, because uh, I'm Christian and we don't say we like people. And um, we go to a, a Christmas party together. She's Japanese. And we parked, I parked on the side of the road, and I forgot it was a white elephant gift exchange. But I've been to lots of white elephant gift exchanges with junior hires and high schoolers where you just bring whatever is in your closet, and you give it away, and you laugh at people who have to take your junk, right? So I was like, it'll be very similar. So I go to my trunk. I open it up. I'm like, what's in here? And I found dirty socks. I was so excited. Like, they smelled bad. I had been played ball in them. And I found a plastic bag. It was like the Lord providing, right? So I threw the socks into a plastic bag. I spent time tying a really nice ribbon, like, or not ribbon, but I tied like a knot, but with like ears and stuff. And I brought it inside. The house is decked out. I didn't know anyone except for this gal. And I looked under the tree, and all the presents are under it that I'm throwing my plastic bag into. But they look different than my present. They were really nicely wrapped. Like, all the corners were fresh. They had these huge bows around them, like really thick ribbon. And some of them were really big. I was like, whatever. So I had plastic bags sitting with all these beautiful presents. And then uh, I had a nice dinner. We all sit around 
the living room. I plop down a chair. There's probably 20 of us. And then we all draw numbers. And the person who had one went up. They unraveled this gift. And it was the guitar, guitar Hero. You remember Guitar Hero? It was that. Like the full guitar and the game. That's like 70 bucks. It's like, wow, who would give that away? Someone else opens a present. It was ski tickets. I know, to Big Bear. Two of them. Someone else opened a present. It was the full series of friends. I was like, I'm at the wrong party. This is not a white elephant party. This is like a rich people bring your nice stuff party, right? So I was starting to like cold sweat. My palms were getting sticky. I looked at my friend. I was like, she's just a friend now. And then I whispered to her. I was like, dude, I brought, I brought socks. And she looked at me. And then she walks up to the host. And then she whispers to the host. And then she walk, runs up to the tree discreetly. And she pulls my plastic bag out. She like stuffs it in her shirt and runs up the stairs, right? Thank God I'm with Asians who care about like saving face and not dishonoring their guests, right? So she goes upstairs. She wraps a beautiful present, brings it downstairs. And, and that's how I felt in love with white elephant gift exchanges. <laughs> so the sermon's going to be disjointed like that story was. Uh, I have like a pretty large section of passages. The first section is the introduction of Luke when he writes to Theophilus. And I was just going to skip through that and go into the narrative. But that grew into half a sermon. And then the other half is the narrative of John's announcements. But with sermons, two halves don't make a whole. So it's a little disjointed, but we're just going to walk through the text together. And, and then I'll try to like bag everything up at the end. All right, Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, it says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So both Luke and Acts was written to Theophilus. He most likely is a rich person, maybe powerful and political, and he was investigating and trying to understand Jesus. And he probably had a blossoming faith. It's likely that he funded these two books so that Luke had the margin to interview people, to travel, and to collect, you know, scrolls to write on. What a cool Kickstarter to fund a book of the Bible. But a lot of amazing ministries were funded by people in the background, helping Jesus with his missionary journey, helping Paul go on mission trips. And I just think about Theophilus, who gifted us this book, even though his name is mentioned briefly. And then secondly, we see the reason why Luke writes this book. It's so that Theophilus and us can have certainty in the things that we were being taught. It's to root down our faith. It's to help Theophilus understand that this isn't a myth or a legend. This isn't um, fabricated. But with journalistic integrity from the lens of a historian, Luke carefully investigates everything. He sits down and interviews Mary. He travels with Paul. He has maybe coffee, I don't know, or whatever they drink with the apostles. And he hears these stories and takes an orderly account. Luke is meticulous in the way that he organizes this book. 
In the first two chapters, there's 10 stories about the birth and childhood of Jesus. Um, five are pre-birth, five are post-birth, and they paired these events in a quintet between John and Jesus. There's these mirror events, one after another, uh, unraveling their birth story. So when we think about who Luke is, he's a world-class journalist and historian. He has the receipts, the times, the locations, the genealogies that a historian would. He's all, he also wrote most of the New Testament. In terms of word count, Luke and Acts combined it takes up more of the New Testament than any other author, who Paul would be his rival, if you will. And lastly, a third of his content is unique. Because of Luke, he's able to bring out stories outside of a first-person perspective through listening and asking questions to those who surrounded Jesus. All right, there's also three other things I want you to know about Luke that I would put on his dating profile. Like, if I was a hype man for Luke, I'd be like, tell, tell the ladies about these things because they're very attractive to me. I, I, I've fallen in love with him. First, Luke is an anti-celebrity pastor. I love that he's in the backdrop. And there's this huge value for him to elevate and lift up other people's stories, to be outside of the lamplight so that Jesus can take center stage. In fact, in his travels with Paul in the book of Acts, he doesn't mention himself by name. He never does. He simply transitions from Paul to we as he joins Paul in, this, in his journey. And he loves elevating the voice of others. And partly it's because he's a Gentile. In the next slide, Luke is a Gentile and, and an outsider. And he's the only Gentile, non-Jewish person to contribute to the Bible. But because of that, it gives him a unique lens. This is from Colossians chapter 4. Paul gives us the most information about Luke in these small sections. And he imply, it's implied because he names those who are Jewish, those who have been circumcised. And Luke was not named in that group, but he was named as someone who was surrounding him. And because of that lens, he talks about salvation for all. He points out how Simeon, when he uh, predicts Jesus' birth and what he will do, he says he'll be light to the Gentiles. He also lifts up the voice of women and gives attention to the marginalized. He talks about people who were outcast socially. He focuses on the poor. He points out those who were non-Jewish that Jesus teaches and heals. He has this inclusive view. But I really love his view on women. In the next part, uh, this is when we walked through Luke together. We landed on Luke 23, and I wrote this little devotional for um, our, our group. Here's Jesus walking toward Calvary, being spat on, going through trial, getting flogged. And Luke points out the women in every stage of his journey to execution. The women wept for him on the road to the cross. The woman watched him die on the cross. The woman helped bury him. It wasn't the bravado of Peter or his disciples who were with him. It was his closest women friends and mother. When others spat on them, when they laughed at his pain, there was this amazing ministry of compassion, empathy, and grace by these women who followed him all the way. He could look up through the blood and see their tears. He could listen through the jeering 
and hear their broken hearts. I don't think anyone did more for Jesus in his life than these women at this moment of pain. He wasn't alone. Luke saw women, and he names more women individually than any other gospel because he's an outsider. And lastly, he's a beloved physician and close friend. Not only does he travel with Paul at the end of his missionary journey, but he travels with Paul to Rome. That was a difficult journey. It was Paul going from one trial to another, waiting to appear to Caesar and possibly being executed. He was a friend to the end. When Paul was in Rome, imprisoned, Luke was there. He talked about how so many people abandoned him, but Luke didn't. He cared for his wounds. He cared for his heart. He brought things to Paul. He served Paul. He was a friend to the end. I love Luke for that, that sense of loyalty, that sense of being willing to go into the depths of people's journey. I had a friend like, I have a friend like that. His name's Caleb, one of my groomsmen. I got injured in high school, tore an ACL, then tore another ACL, then tore another ACL. You only have two, but I tore three because I got one reconstructed and tore that one. Anyways, I'm in bed, uh, my first ACL tear, and it's about a month and a half over summer. A lot of friends came and visited me, but one friend, Caleb, came day in and day out. It was almost like he was clocking in for work. He'd show up in the morning. He would leave uh, late in the afternoon and evening, and we would talk for hours. Then we'd talk for minutes. Then we would sit in silence because it's like his 27th day clocking in. We'd just sit there. I'd be like, Caleb, I need to use the restroom. He's like, oh, my favorite time. I'm useful. <laughs> like, stand up really fast. Help me get out of bed. Watch me pee. <laughs> get me back into bed. That was like the highlight of our day. But I'll always remember uh, Caleb in that season of pain in my life being with me. You don't need a lot of friends. You need a few Lukes in your life. And you need to be Luke to the people around you. So I've fallen in love with him. All right, so that's the overview of our author, Luke, and we hear his voice and his lens through this book as we're gonna crawl through it. Now in verse five, we're entering into the narrative. He starts um, the narrative of Jesus here with the announcement of John. In the time of Herod, the king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijai. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees. And here, again, we see Luke as a world-class historian, keeping all the receipts. We have a location, Judah. We have a time, King Herod, which, you know, literature surrounds King Herod from other historians. And then he names a priest and goes through their genealogy, meaning that they're real people. They're not fictional characters. But as I marvel at Luke's authorship, I'm, I'm taken aback. I'm, I'm breathless at the authorship of God, especially as you comb through these narratives of Jesus' birth. It's like the sun coming down in these individual rays, and then you pulling out a magnifying glass. And then the rays come together into a focal point. The Old Testament story is like that. 
There's all these rays pointing at Jesus, people's stories, the journey of the Israelites, and specific prophecies. And it's in these birth stories we see all these rays gathered together into the focal point of Jesus. And I'm going to point that out to you a little bit here. That God doesn't, Luke is writing this observation of God's story, but God writes through centuries. God writes through lives. God writes through events in history. And it's amazing. It says in verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. And this is a mirror image of Abraham and Sarah. Exactly the same thing. They were very old, but God gave them a promise that they would have a son. But they were unable to conceive. So Luke is reminding us of the patriarchs of our faith. That just like they would have a baby in their old age to usher in a new era for the Israelites, Elizabeth and Zechariah would do the same. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. And we learn later that this angel's name is Gabriel. And again, you take that section, and it's supposed to be this mirror image of Daniel. I'm going to nerd out on you if that's okay. So Daniel was 500 years ago. An angel, the same Gabriel, appeared to him. Gabriel only appears three times. He delivers a message to Daniel 500 years ago, and we see that message fulfilled as he appears to uh, Mary and Elizabeth. So in the same way, Daniel was offering an evening sacrifice, Daniel chapter 9, 20 to 21. Daniel was terrified and fell prostrate, which is maybe what you do when you see an angel. I don't know. And Daniel was also rendered speechless like Zechariah would be moments later. And in this prophecy, in Daniel, when, when um, Gabriel appeared to him, he said, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to become to bring in everlasting righteousness, which is Jesus, to seal both vision and prophet and to anoint a most holy place. So, G so, so 500 years ago, Gabriel appears to Daniel and he's talking about this very moment, that there's this time of John the Baptist's ministry where the people would put an end to their sin and atone for iniquity. His whole goal was to have people repent and then to usher in an everlasting righteousness, which is Jesus. And 70 weeks is 100, uh, 490 days. And we see a fulfillment here. This is from, um, what's the commentary I read? Hugh. Okay, I forget. I'll, I'll just put it on Facebook. Preaching the word commentary series. All right, so I read this from him. He's, 490 days make 70 weeks. 180 days is between John and Jesus' announcement. 270 days are the nine months of Mary's pregnancy. And 40 days from John's birth to his temple presentation. 490 days. And I point this out 
because I'm trying to point out the authorship of God. And numbers have a way of saying that things aren't random. Numbers have a way of saying that God isn't just guessing, that it isn't just chance. Numbers are precise. Numbers are binary. They're right or wrong. And God is writing history to a mathematical precision. 70 weeks fulfilled by the same messenger of God, Gabriel, in two points of time, 500 years apart, and fulfilled. What he said in one moment with Daniel is fulfilled in the next as he speaks over Mary and Elizabeth. God is an amazing author. Back to Luke chapter 1, verse 11. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of God. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, which is a, a Nazarene vow back in Numbers, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So again, uh, John the Baptist is great, right? He's like, what's my calling in life? Oh yeah, the angel. The angel told me my whole call. And then we have uh, Zachariah's response. He asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And this is, again, a throwback to Abraham and Sarah. Sarah doubted Jesus, we believe, who came down with two other messengers to tell Sarah and Abraham that they were having a child, to reaffirm that covenant they made. And what happened? Sarah's in the tent pretty far away. She hears uh, what Jesus is saying, and she laughs. And then the messenger says, why do you laugh? You know, is it too small for God? And then, and then Sarah's like, I did not laugh. And then Jesus says, yes, you did laugh. And then that ends really awkward, right? That's just how it ends. You did laugh. And then stop. And in the same way, Gabriel is, this is an awkward moment, moment too. Because Zachariah's like, how can I be sure? And Gabriel's like, uh, maybe an angel shows up and tells you? Like, Maybe an angel appears and you're terrified. An angel that stands before God every day. Maybe he tells you that you're going to have a baby. Maybe that, right? I am Gabriel. I stand before the presence of the Lord. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the, this day happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true in their appointed time. So Gabriel basically puts Zachariah on a timeout, like shh, 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 just shh, right? You know, like stop talking, stop sitting before the Lord, and just listen, just wait, just anticipate God fulfilling his promise. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. 
When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for nine months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this to me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace amongst the people. Again, similar to Sarah's story. You know, when I'm thinking about uh, this Christmas season, I, I hope that we would be called into silence like Zachariah was, into slowing down. Because it's in the silence that he bridges the gap between doubting God and becoming confident in God. In the silence, in the slowness, he bridges this gap between not hearing God, not hearing the message of the angel to fully believing and receiving what God is saying. I think we can just scurry by Christmas. We can get caught with the parties. Our calendars are full. We could get into Christmas decoration and not give God the gift of saying this whole time is about us waiting for you anticipating you coming down, remembering your birth. You know, I think about how I messed up that white elephant party because I was hurried, right? I rushed to it. I didn't stop to prepare a gift. I wasn't thoughtful about what I was bringing uh, to my friends. And I think that could be our Christmas too. It could be that cheap white elephant party where you just kind of bring whatever you have because you're too busy. But what would happen if we slowed down with our family? What would happen if we slowed down with our kids and held their hand and said, those lights on a tree, that's Jesus being the light to the Gentiles. Those ornaments are to remind us of the gifts the Magi brought and the star, how the star pointed at the sun. These gifts we give each other is to remind us of God's greatest gift to us. What does that doesn't mean to slow down and stand in wonder of God again? I've been reading um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And he talks about how we can't even, uh, it's actually really difficult to live in God's kingdom while being hurried. That God's kingdom and being in step with Jesus requires slowness. That's in the slowness we're able to be like Luke who sees the marginalized. Otherwise, we drive right by. It's in the slowness that we're able to move into the depths of sadness with our friends and hold them. Otherwise, we gloss right over their pain. It's in the slowness that we're able to... um, to see God's work unfold. Otherwise, it's just another Christmas story. My hope for you is is to be Zachariah, to slow down, to be quiet before the Lord over the season, and to hear God. Um, I remember I was at Disneyland. We were riding Ride of the Resistance. Liam was going for the first time, and I was super excited. This is like the best ride in the whole world. But it was super hot, and the line was really long. 
And I remember playing musical chairs with shade, right? So we'd like let people go ahead of us. And then the next shady spot, we would run over. And we're just dying. Liam is like crawling on the floor, asking me to pick him up. I say no, but I give him my TV instead to numb his pain, to numb our pain. And then we're halfway through. We waited like an hour, and we're finally in the caves. If you've, if you've ever ridden right, we're outside of the the maze of a purgatory. We're finally in the cave, and Liam says, I have to go pee. Oh, it hurt me. I have to go pee, right? I was like, no. And then I'm looking around. I'm like, there might be appropriate places to pee in the line, right? There's like this waterfall thing. There's a planter. I think it's real soil. And so I'm like, I'm like scoping it out. I was like, and I was, I was so mad. I was like, Liam, why? Why didn't you go just in case PP? And he said, I did go just in case PP. <laughs> so we, we do the walk of shame. We turn around. I put my head down. I crawl through the line. And we get to the bathroom. And as I'm crawling, I'm thinking about all the times that I felt held back from my kids. I think about all the times where I felt like, why can't you hurry up? Why are you making me late again? Why do you have to interrupt me while I'm listening to a podcast? Why do I have to play tag and then grapple with my two-year-old to put on a diaper or a shoe or a shirt or pants or feed him? And we walk out of this restroom, and I was just like so upset by things that hold me back, things that keep me away from getting where I want to go. We get back to the line. I, I talked to a worker, I'm like, he had to go pee. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, Liam, we're probably not going to get on the ride, but he had to go pee. We were halfway through. Is there anything you can do? And Liam's just like looking at his shoes, like super discouraged. And I was like, keep looking that way. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> and then the worker says, um, you know, I'm just going to let you through. So he lets us through this magical road that you have to, you should pay $20 for. And we just walk through, they open the door, and like the hologram is talking to us. We walk, we walk right through. You know, when we slow down, it feels like, it feels frustrating. It feels like we're not being productive. It feels like we're not getting anywhere. But it's in the slowness that we find purpose, that we hear his voice, that we stop scurrying around, and we go in one step toward Jesus, seeing his face and falling in love with him. I hope that over this holiday season, we would slow down enough to hear our kids call us Abba or Amma. We would slow down enough to sit with our friend who's in pain over Christmas, we would slow down enough to see that the lights and the trees, the garland and the presents are about this king who came down to be with us. God, we love you. And I pray that we would celebrate Advent by waiting, by anticipating, by being quiet, by stepping back like Luke, out of the lamplight, out of the social media, out of grabbing people's attention, and like Luke, say, I just want to see you. 
and I want other people to see you as well. And we can only do that when we slow down, when we're quiet. God, I pray that you would move that into our schedule, you would move that into our life, and that we would move three miles an hour and step with Jesus, who always walks. Amen. Thanks for listening. Since I have you here, I wanted to give you a few more resources and talk about how you can invest in our ministry. If you look at the description section of this podcast, we have a website for the church and would love to have you come visit us when you're in town. We're in Brea, California. We also have tax-deductible giving at Renew, and we would love for you to invest in our church and our seminarians as we have people coming in to become future missionaries and pastors at Renew. We want to train up the next generation of pastors to reach their generation for the Lord. There's also a few more resources. At the very bottom, I do a podcast with Roy Kim, who's an MFT. It's called The Same Boat, where we talk about issues from English ministries at immigrant Chinese churches to relationships and being single. I hope that you would enjoy this podcast with us as a way to talk off the pulpit and into our daily lives. And lastly, Nina and I wrote a children's book series called To Be helping kids integrate their faith with their occupation. And on that website, there's also the adulting journal. If you're in your 20s or 30s and you're going through transition in career, relationship, or just rethinking your spirituality, this is a great space for you to examine inward and find what God has written on your hearts and in your values. I hope that those resources uh, would connect with your heart, and that you would connect with us. God bless.